From WAUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Kayla McCleskey. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, a historic moment in Nelsonville as the city celebrates its first pride. I think being able to give this opportunity to those people that really that don't have that opportunity often is awesome. And a student athlete at Ohio University gets a once in a lifetime deal. So I would say definitely like um, the middle ground of it, like the people like me, like it's good to see people taking advantage of that because it's like we can also participate in that and not we don't have to like take off and get famous and we're still going to get like success from that. These stories and more right here on The Outlet. It was a weekend of firsts for Nelsonville. The first ever Pride celebration was held in the public square. I'll let reporter Jessica Steltzer speaks with people who say this event can change lives. A major milestone out of Nelsonville, the city's first ever Pride celebration. I've never been to a Pride event. This is my first one ever. Eli, a queer teen from Nelsonville, says it was hard to find their place in the community. When I originally started going by Eli in eighth grade, I had gotten made fun of a lot. And a lot of people told me, you're not a boy. Why are you going by a boy's name? And I got made fun of a lot. I got bullied. I, it sucked. But now, the Nelsonville Pride celebration is creating a more welcoming environment, something Eli never had. I think the importance is to make sure everybody knows, like, hey, we're here, and if you want to come join us, come on, you're safe here. Roberta Robertson, representing the Unitarian Universalist Church, says the event provides a sense of relief for the community. When we make space, when we hold space, open arms and open hearts, right? It's a bit of respite. Robertson also says the event will make Nelsonville a safer place for everyone. Uh, increasingly, it's not always easy to be who we are. And when folks are under threat, there can be a closing in and a closing down. And we know that there are uh, harmful consequences to that, not only for the individual, but for the larger community. Eli says finding space for queer people in Southeast Ohio has been difficult, but worthwhile. I think being able to give this opportunity to those people that really that don't have that opportunity often is awesome. When asked if Eli will be attending the event next year. Heck yeah. <laughs> of course. I'm going to help plan it next year too. <laughs> Organizers say big plans are already in the works. Reporting for The Outlet, I'm Jessica Stelzer in Nelsonville. An Ohio University student athlete is taking advantage of a different name, image, and likeness opportunities. Outlet reporter Grant Kiefer has more on what this means for OU volleyball player McKenna Schaefer. When most think of NIL, they think of the star football player or the show-stopping basketball player. But Ohio Volleyball's McKenna Schaefer has created a path of her own with NIL. But was surprised at how simple the process was. Like, you know, post something in it on your Instagram story and like we'll get like from that I'll get like a free shirt or a free pair of shorts. And I just thought like it was like a little thing, but it was really cool because I was like, OK, like free stuff. Like I thought that was cool. And I was also like promoting their brand, like getting them followers and stuff. And then also like showing other athletes that like they can do NIL as well. And it's really easy and it's not hard to do. McKenna has been signing a high volume of deals, but there's one that particularly catches the eye. She was picked up by Ohio's apparel outfitter Adidas last spring a deal which includes posting pictures in Adidas outfits, which has helped her content on social media. 
you know what, like Adidas is great, I'm just gonna go for it. So I signed up for that and they were like, you got in? And I was like, okay, cool. So basically they contact you and are like, here are the rules, regulations, you read through that and make sure everything's good. Um, you, for Adidas, since it was through Ohio University, we're allowed to use like the, the logo and stuff. So they were basically like, you can post like media day pictures and like with Adidas logos, or like you can post stuff like while playing volleyball, or you could post in like normal clothing, like active clothing wear, Adidas shirts, shorts. So I was like, this is a really big opportunity because I have like a lot of content I can use, so that was really cool. I was just like posting a lot for that. McKenna is focused on the future as well, as she knows the weight of being able to market herself. I think it's going to help a lot. Like on resumes, I can put like, okay, like I did this for this brand or this for this brand, and I think that'll, that'll be like attractive to companies as to like, okay, she knows how to present herself on social media. While McKenna knows NIL is popularized by the top athletes and TikTok stars, she likes to see the everyday college athlete taking advantage of the space cool to see people I know like personally like in denial that's not like okay it's not like the huge football players are like the girls who have like taken off and gone viral on TikTok or whatever so I would say definitely like um, the middle ground of it like the people like me like it's good to see people taking advantage of that because it's like we can also participate in that and not we don't have to like take off and get famous and we're still going to get like success from that. Reporting for the outlet Grant Kiefer in Athens. The race for Athens next mayor continues between incumbents Steve Patterson and challenger Damon Crane. Outlet reporter Jack Green joins us to talk about what both candidates plan for the future of the city. What can you tell us about the two candidates, Jack? So this race is between uh, current mayor, Ath current mayor of Athens, Steve Patterson, and uh, Damon Crane. Uh, this is not the first time they've ran against each other. They actually ran against each other back in 2019 when Patterson was up for his for re-election. Uh, this is Patterson's third time running for mayor. And both men, they, they are very similar on issues. Patterson and Crane are both uh, looking to enforce the city, that better enforcing the city's code, uh, making housing better, and overall improving the lives of people in Athens. Crane wants to do that more by enforcing the city's code and by tightening the city's code, also getting more people involved in city politics. Patterson, on the other hand, wants to really help rebuild, infra help build infrastructure, become more carbon efficient. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, what they're both kind of running on. Yeah, and then earlier this week, there was a public forum hosted by the League of Women Voters of Athens County. What were some of the topics that were mentioned at the forum that the candidates touched upon? So along with those key issues, they talked about each one of those. They kind of mentioned about improving the lives of people in the city, uh, along with housing, making that better, and really just kind of talked about how the government is functioning for the past eight years as Mayor Patterson's been mayor. Yeah, and then if either the candidates do become the next mayor, what are some of the things they would like to improve or change in the city of Athens? So uh, something Crane really wants to change is getting more students involved with city politics and city government. He mentions a lot that the city government today has really alienated the student population, um, especially since they live here uh, more than a quarter of the year. They live here three-fourths out of the year. Um, Patterson also really wants – but Patterson, on the other hand, he really wants to uh, – rebuild infrastructure, make it more carbon efficient for people in Athens, and also making uh, utilities more carbon efficient. Uh, both men also really do want to enforce the code, um, but on that, they def how they want to do that is a little bit different. Uh, Patterson wants to raise fines for reinspection. 
uh, and with those fines, uh, hire new enforcement officers. Crane, on the other hand, wants to really focus on raising fines, tightening up the city's code, and hiring more enforcement officers. Um, Patterson thinks the code seems to be fine for now, um, but Crane, on the other hand, thinks the city code is not tight, tight enough. And then for the people who do live in the city of Athens, where do you think they should go to in order to find more information about voting and where to go to do that? Yeah, so I think if you're living in the city of Athens, um, head to the Athens County Board of Elections website. There you'll be able to find uh, more information about where you can vote. Um, They'll tell you your precinct, and from there you'll be able to see where you can vote and when you can vote. That was reporter Jack Green with WOUB Public Media. You can find more about Jack's story on WOUB's website at woub.org. Donovan Hunt, the assistant news editor for The Post, Ohio University's independent student-run newspaper, recently reported on the Athens Fire Department and the juxtaposition of emergency runs they make and staff size. Um, Chief Reimer shared with me that they currently have about four to six um, firefighters on duty at a time, um, and with what was really uh, interesting to me was that there is uh, recommended 10 to 12 firefighters for a small house fire, um, if something with that happen. Um, and then what I did was I compared that with the number of uh, fire runs they do, which has been increasing over the year. Yeah, and then during your story, you were talking about the fire fee and how that can have an impact with not only the students at Ohio University's Athens campus, but also the Athens Fire Department. What can you kind of tell us about that? Yeah, so this is a um, this is an effort pub- uh, pushed by Dan Gordillo. He's the Governmental Affairs Commissioner for OU Student Senate, um, and the idea is a $50 opt-out fee. It's similar to the legal fee that you can waive, and yeah, it's just given to students. Unless they waive it, they pay an extra $50, and that goes towards um, funding, uh, fire staffing, and education efforts. Yeah, and then you kind of just mentioned this a little bit ago, but for the Athens Fire Department, is there a limit to how many firefighters can be either on staff or on duty at one individual time? From my understanding, there's no limit. Um, what's limiting them at this moment is their funding. Since the 70s, they have not been able to increase staffing despite the number of students increasing constantly. Um, and uh, what Reimer shared with us is that it, it hadn't been updated since the 70s. Yeah, and then also in your story, you had some graphs explaining how when Ohio University enrollment is increasing, the number of yearly fire runs have also increased as well. How does that not only impact the fire department, but when there are so many runs like that during the school year, how can that also affect the students, the operations that are done? What can you kind of tell us about that? Well, it it makes it hard, from my understanding, to make decisions. If you have such little staff, um, you can only send a certain amount of people out to uh, a specific, uh, or if you have, like, multiple things going on, you can only send a certain amount of staff if it's so low. So it it makes the fire department have to make tough decisions. Um, What you can see from the graphs is that the two years from COVID, 2020 and 2021, there were a lot less fire runs than the previous years, where it's steadily increasing. Um, and that is also reflected in the 
lesser amount of students which were on campus. Yeah, and then if you do happen to have this information, what is the estimate I could say for 2023 and then the years after for these runs? So Reimer shared with us that the estimate for 2023 is about uh, 1,300. And from looking at my graph, the highest they had was about um, 1,152, and that was in 2017. So that's kind of just going back to the trend that they were already experiencing before. That was Donovan Hunt from The Post. This segment is a part of a collaboration between Ohio University's longest-running independent student-run newspaper and WOUB Public Media. The reporting was done by The Post, and the audio is brought to you by the production team at WOUB. To read Donovan's full story, visit thepostathens.com slash section slash news. Homecoming week at Ohio University brings an alumni crowd to Bobcat sporting events. Sports director Aiden Crowley and associate sports director Maria Manessi join us to talk Ohio volleyball, soccer, and football. Homecoming week is here for Ohio University sports, and we have a jam-packed weekend with a whole bunch of games to talk about today. But for now, we're going to start with volleyball. They just had a recent win last Friday, September 29th, a win against Buffalo, and also a loss on Saturday. Maria, I'm going to go to you first. What did we see during these two games, and then what are some of the upcoming games for volleyball as well? Yeah, so like you had mentioned, um, they won in three sets on Friday at Buffalo, which obviously we talked about last week was a big game for them to get on the road. Anna Karczynska led with 17 kills for the Bobcats, and then unfortunately they dropped that game on the 30th in four sets. And now they return home to shift their focus to Northern Illinois and then Western Michigan. So taking kind of a look at that, obviously two important games for them. Right now they sit at 3-2 and two in the MAC. Um, Northern Illinois right now has won three straight, including a series sweep last weekend against Miami. And then on October 6th, the Bobcats play host to Western Michigan, which is a really dangerous team in the MAC right now. They come into Athens with a 14 and two overall record and a 4-0 conference record sweeping both Miami and Bowling Green the past two weekends, which obviously is going to be a really big, tough test for them um, that they're really going to need leaders to step up for them. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like for all the teams this weekend, with it being homecoming, there is a lot of homecoming pressure on their shoulders. I mean, you got the home crowd here, you got alumni here, you got family members coming back. So hopefully we can expect a lot from all of our teams this weekend. And then Aiden, I'm going to shift it over to you for OU soccer and kind of talk to us what happened over the weekend and then some of the upcoming games that they have as well. Yeah, sure, Caleb. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit because we even saw uh, Sunday when Ohio soccer took on Bowling Green. Abby Townsend jumped on the broadcast for a little bit, somebody who obviously is no longer with the program. But homecoming weekend, she's back in town. She's hopping on the broadcast, and she's right back with the team because obviously Ohio and their alumni hold a lot of that pride. But you mentioned a couple games for the soccer team over this kind of weekend. First to start out was a big win against Northern Illinois at Northern Illinois. We Again, we're talking about their struggles on the road. And then they go and they went back-to-back on the road. Um, they kind of shut us up a little bit when it came uh, as far as getting road wins. Uh, they kind of proved that. And the interesting thing about this game is that all four goals in that 3-1 to one victory were scored in, scored in the first 
30 minutes of the game. So all the action started right out the gate, and then that defense has held strong as it had pretty much the entire season. I know the record doesn't reflect it for the soccer team, but I feel like a lot of that is just they haven't found a way to finish goals and to find the back of the net, and we saw that take place Sunday against Bowling Green in a 0-2 to loss for them. Obviously, a donut on the scoreboard is unfortunate for this team, and Rodgers again was just talking about how they need more aggression in that last third. They need someone who can just step up and fire one in, someone who's going to kind of take charge in that attack, and they just haven't really found that yet. Um, so I think that's going to be one of the areas that they kind of look for moving into their next couple games against Toledo and against Western Michigan. One of the big things for them was having back-to-back home games, uh, playing Sunday and then playing October 5th, Thursday. Just that stretch of being at home, being able to go to classes, not having to worry about being on the road, training, all that kind of stuff could play a big factor into what goes down against the Toledo team that is very beatable uh, in the MAC, and then Western Michigan in Kalamazoo, another road test for them um, as they continue to see if they can make it three straight on the road. Yeah, Aiden, then we talked about last time about the upcoming Kent State game for Ohio football this week, and I hear we also have some unfortunate news for our football team as well. Can you kind of talk to us about that? Yeah, Caleb, like you mentioned, just unfortunate for this team that has big aspirations. They kind of took a shot. Um, It actually happened last Saturday, or two Saturdays ago, excuse me, Bowling Green. At Bowling Green, Jacoby Jones suffered a lower leg injury. He ended up having to get season-ending surgery on that leg, so he's going to be out for the remainder of the season for the Bobcats. And he's someone who takes a lot of the weight off of Sam Wigloos, takes a lot of the weight off of Curtis Rourke in the offense, and specifically the passing game. He only has eight catches this year, but for 147 yards. So if we're getting to the weeds of the numbers, that's 18 yards per catch. He's the big play threat for them. So he's the one who can stretch the field vertically. So that's going to be a little bit of a struggle for this Ohio team moving forward. Look for them to try and get the running game going a little bit more. They've been a little inefficient with that, with C.A. Bangura and O'Shawn Allison trying to kind of get them going, take a little bit of the pressure off of Curtis Rourke, Sam Wigglis, those guys in the passing game, and especially without Jacoby, you're going to have to lean on those guys especially. I don't anticipate it being that big of an issue against Kent State, obviously a team that has struggled so far this year, their only win being against an FCS opponent. But as we go along in this season and the aspirations and the goals that this team has, they're going to have to find a way to get it done without Jacoby Jones. This is a deep wide receiver room, so I don't anticipate a lot of the guys to be hanging their heads. It's kind of going to be the next man up mentality, and they're going to move in to this obviously Kent State game and somebody's going to have to step up somebody's going to have to fill the void Um, and these are guys who are ready to go in there and make an impact that's all we have for you this week thanks for joining us the outlet is produced each week by me Caleb McCluskey we're edited by Atish Baidia Aaron Payne and David Forster Adam Rich is our technical assistant and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos enjoy our show tell a friend to give us a listen they can subscribe to the outlet on soundcloud or spotify as well as apple Podcasts, or find us online at woub.org they can follow us on twitter at outlet underscore woub and instagram at newswatch underscore woub we'll be back next week with more stories from southeast ohio